Views expressed on this program are those of the sponsors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Asset allocation and diversification strategies cannot assure profit or protect against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. All right. You got your mic backwards, Dave. That's a summertime thing right there. I'm just relaxed because it's summer. The end of summer. Damn. It is almost the end of summer. Welcome to Plan for Life Now. Um, Yeah, this is weird because this is normally the first day of school. Now, I know a lot of our listeners, their kids are way beyond those school days. But normally, this is the first day of school. And uh, now in Maryland, we've been pushed back to after Labor Day. And I think Fairfax County is now where you and I went to school. Me, a million years ago. You, not as long, but still pretty long ago. <laughs> right. They are this, yeah, now yeah, they, they switched today. like with Montgomery County. That's very strange. It is odd. And I was at this party this weekend and some guy was saying, you know what? He said, I want the kids to go after the day after Labor Day. He said, they should go to any Labor Day parties and just have this feeling of dread that school is coming, that it's hanging over Right. You. And that was always how I felt. I just like... Hey, kudos to Maryland Governor Hogan, who uh, basically said we're just schools just not starting till after Labor Day, which is good for the economy down, mm-hmm. you know, in the in the beach, yeah. Maryland, Ocean City, Maryland beach areas. Well, I like that idea. The I think it's normal to have school start, normal from old school, older person point of view, and also, you know, it doesn't hurt to help the economy when you have a beach area. Yeah, I mean, agree or disagree, I like the fact that they're pretty upfront about it and just said, hey, it's going to help the beach economy. I like that. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, So what we wanted to talk about today, this is a research study that's been done for a few years. You've probably heard us talk about this or or even uh, show it to you in some of our meetings. Um, The piece that we've looked at in the past, it's something called Advisors Alpha, and it was a research study that was to my knowledge at least, first done by Vanguard. And it basically takes a look at where do advisors add value to their clients' portfolios? Like what services does an advisor provide that benefit clients versus just doing it on their own? Right. Right. And that's very fair and a good question that anybody should be asking. Um, I saw this update that came out to the report and of course, you know, different companies, different methodologies. But this report was done by Russell Investments. And of course, the headline that's supposed to grab everybody's attention, the value of a fiduciary advisor reaches 4% in 2017. So, wow. Now, I think because I know you've been quoting this stat 
for a while to clients. I think maybe even on our seminar you used that. Do you or not? I don't remember if you I quote that. But you certainly have been mentioning it. I think that value was lower before. I think that's gone yeah. up. Well, yeah. The, the Am I right about that, that or I'm just forgot? No, you're correct. The one that Vanguard always cites, they say that it's about 3%. So Vanguard always says you know, the, the value of an advisor – um, and I, like I said, I think that's on our website. It's called uh, Advisors Alpha. Um, this one's got a slightly different name, but I'll post the link here down below. But yeah, I think they're trying to grab some headlines and say, hey, it's up to 4%. That's huge. That's big. But I always like to see, you know, with any study or any data, you always see want to see what's the methodology? How do they get to this number? Is this is this realistic? So they break this down into A, B, C, D, no, A, B, C, P, and T, right? So, <laughs> of course, they've got to have cool little letters, right. and, you know, make something gimmicky here. So A, annual rebalancing of a portfolio. Right. right. This has been, um, you know, this has been well documented for, for years and years, the benefits of rebalancing. And there's some discussion out there as to what is the exact right time frame to optim- optimally rebalance, you know, because you could have a portfolio that rebalances every day, or you could have one that rebalances every two years. You know, where's that right. optimal level? You know, if you're doing it every single day, it's probably too much. Um, so they look at you know annual rebalancing, and they say on average that adds. Uh, about 0.2% to a portfolio, right? So it's not a huge driver of returns, but it's... hey, when we're talking, you know, basis points here, every right. every little bit helps there. Um, number two is behavioral mistakes. And we've talked about this many, many different times before that we say that people love to sell their investments when they've gone down. And they love to buy more when they've gone up. Right. Right. And we all know this feeling of, oh my gosh, it's 2008. The stock market's going down. I just, I've got to get out of stocks. And I, you know, I sincerely hope you weren't one of these people, but a lot of people sold out of stocks. And then when did they get back in, Dave? Well, they get back in when it's uh, too late. <laughs> too late <laughs> or... Too late means too high. Yeah, or never. But, and speaking of that, the person who doesn't do that is Warren Buffett. I don't know if you noticed this the other day, that Warren Buffett, when we were all... we, You and I were in a different firm mm-hmm. in West Financial Group before we started the Capital Retirement Strategies, but basically, we were all like, Warren Buffett's buying all this GE why it's still hard to pull the trigger ge was so low so he certainly bought low it's interesting i know i forgot it was last week or so he sold his shares in ge right how many years later he bought them in 2008 yep. sold them in uh 2017 so he held up for nine years i'm sure ge way higher than obviously than when he bought it mm-hmm. when it was the depths of 2008 but warren buffett is the classic guy yeah that's a, a great example i mean the other big move um, they, they grabbed a lot of headlines in 2008. He made this huge investment in Goldman Sachs. And I mean, Goldman Sachs, I mean, this is right in the, the heart of the, the worst stuff, right? All, all the, right. the mortgages melting down. And I don't remember the numbers, but he put billions of dollars to work at Goldman Sachs and, you know, of course, paid off big time. Um, now, that's 
hard to do. <laughs> we're not we're not trying to be Warren Buffett. What we're trying to do though is avoid being the people that feel like they have to sell when the market goes down. Right. And you know, there's a lot of data that that shows the propensity that people have to do this that shows that most people like to sell when the market's down, wait to buy in. And the study they show here is basically from 1984 through 2016. That has cost investors on average 2% per year. That's that's right. huge. Yeah. And that's you might think, oh, no big deal, 2% per year. Try running a, a projection just because this is so much fun to do. Try running a compound interest projection where you look at the cost of 2% on your portfolio. It's going to add up the hundreds of thousands of dollars over over a whole retirement, right. if not millions of dollars. Um, so in this study here, Russell puts that cost of of investor behavior, bad investor behavior, at two percent. Um, so that's two point two percent total. Now we've gone right. over two factors. What's the rest of the one point eight percent? All right. So cost of basic investment management only. Um, so essentially, you know, what what are they saying? If you had a an advisor, they didn't do any sort of financial planning, no service, nothing like that. They're basically just a pure robo advisor putting together this diversified mix of portfolio, you know, diversified mix of assets. So it, it's a fancy way of saying the value of having this asset allocation, the combination of risk and return and trying to find this this optimized reward within there. Um, and, you know, I didn't actually click on the study of how they got to this, but they put it at 0.33%. Okay. Right. So what's our total? We're up to... <clears throat> We're up to 2.53%. 2.53%. Um, the next one, P, planning services and ancillary services. So this kind of gets buried in here, and this deserves a little bit of a little bit of time and, and pull this out here because when people think about a financial advisor, a financial planner, they're thinking about their investment rates of return. Right? What what was the investment rate of return that I got? What was the you know, how does that compare to this fund or that fund or an index or something like that? But what they often don't think about is all the planning services that are included within there. So hopefully your advisor is doing retirement planning. They're doing survivor needs planning. You know, maybe they're doing insurance analysis, estate uh, analysis, things like There's that. There's always tax analysis on your investments and well, everything. You now, know. Dave, you're jumping to the next category because they ah, actually broke that out. <laughs> this is why we don't do a pre-show meeting. <laughs> Uh, you know, just, sometimes it, I it can would guess this stuff. It would take away the spontaneity of it, right? Right. Um, so actually, they <laughs> they're just talking about the planning services here, and I don't know how they exactly get to this number. I'll but- tell you one thing that we do that other, hopefully, other advisors who specialize in retirement planning do, and that is obviously we have a lot of knowledge and we've done a lot of work in long term care insurance, which oh, yeah. I would consider a big ancillary part of. Of your uh, retirement plans, certainly not investments, like no. you said. It's but it is there to protect it, and for the kind of planning the people we work with, it's a critically important part. 
Yeah, I mean that's that's often one of people's big concerns is I don't want to be a burden on my kids. I don't want to wipe out my portfolio. How do I deal with this? I've been dealing with it with my mom, my aunt, whoever. Right, um, you learn how to do laundry. Now I'm doing my tutorial for other advisors listening to this. You learn how to do long-term care insurance and you do it for clients. In other mm-hmm. words, not recommend it to the ether. Someone else will do it. There isn't enough long-term care insurance expertise. Other advisors listening. Current clients listening. Well, you're lucky you have us. That's the general theme of the show. All right. Um, so the the value of that those planning services, they put it at, well, actually they give a range, but they say half a percent to 0.75. We'll go on the low end and say it's half a percent. So that puts us now at what, over 3% yes. in the total um, and the very last thing, like Dave um, correctly forecasted there, is the tax impact. Um, and I think a lot of people don't don't think about this. They don't consider it. Um, you know, I know Morningstar has some pretty cool calculators where you can plug in um, various investments, various mutual funds, ETFs, things like that, and they'll show you, of course, the returns, which are available anywhere, and then they'll show you the after-tax returns. And they'll make different assumptions about, well, this fund paid such and such distribution, this much was capital gains, this much was, you know, dividends, you know, the breakdown, all that stuff. And it's not a small thing. I mean, on average, um, most U.S. stock funds, the cost drag, or I should say the tax drag, was about 1.5% per year. Wow. So remember when I told you earlier how much fun it would be to plug in to a compound interest calculator right. at two percent? Right. Well, now you know another one and a half percent. You plug that in, you look at the tax drag. That's really hurting your long-term returns. So somehow in here, uh, this Russell study, they figure out that through using properly tax-managed funds and tax-loss harvesting, um, that's always a you know if you want to make yourself look smart. I love that phrase. You can throw that one around. I love it. Don't we have? We had a couple other ones we talked about. I I don't know. That's just a great one. But tax loss harvesting is basically this idea. Let's say that you were invested um, in a a particular mutual fund and firmly believed it was a good fund, good investment, very broadly diversified, blah, blah, blah. You put in $100,000. The stock market has a little hiccup, right? Something goes wrong. All of a sudden, this is down to $90,000. But you still like your investment, right? You right. still say, hey, I, I want to be invested here. I'm not worried about this hiccup. If it's down to 90000 and you sell and then buy a different fund, not the same fund, but you buy a different investment, right. similar investments, you've now harvested a $10,000 loss. And when the investments go back up, right. you get to participate. Right. It makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Um, so you know when we We've see had that, a lot of that lately because of the no, market going straight <laughs> up. But it's a lot less than that, uh, less of that when the market is up. Um, but you know, for a lot of people, for frankly, for a lot of our clients, you know, in two thousand eight when we had things go down, even two thousand eleven, we did a little tax loss in, harvesting. In two thousand eleven, you're right. Um, it helps because you know, and doesn't take that big of a portfolio. You have a little bit of a loss. You harvest those. You could be using some of those losses to offset gains for for a couple of years to come, uh, and that that's not always easy to see. 
you know, at the end of the year, you get that 1099 and you see, oh, we sold some stuff, we lost some money. I don't know if that's good, bad, whatever, but that adds up to real savings in terms of tax over the long term. Right. Is this it? Because I have commentary on this study. (sighs) That's it. Well, here's my commentary. For all that, very Mm -hmm. compelling, especially when you're in the business, I would find that for regular people to be, in two words, not compelling. (laughs) Because regular people, and I'll give you my my analogy, which is long-term care insurance, because that's my specialty. I can go through every statistic of long-term care with people, statistics of the care, statistics of how much it costs, and all that stuff. What is the number one driver of my clients Mm -hmm. currently and people certainly who come to the long-term care seminar? My mother or dad has Alzheimer's or just has a broken hip and is in assisted living or nursing care for whatever reason, and it's costing this much. I didn't know that. Well, if you listen to us, we constantly tell you what it really costs, and now I'm dealing with it personally, and now I'm going to... I don't want this to happen to my portfolio mm-hmm. or my kids to have to deal with it. So now I'm buying long-term care insurance. In this, what we're talking about, you can go through the whole whatever. with, And it's all true. And I, I find it compelling and interesting. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners find it interesting from this point of view. But for new people coming to Advisor, it's there's a bear market. The market's really going down. Mm-hmm. My money's going down. Right. I need help. No, That's I, the I, ultimate I, driver I, of people going to a financial advisor, or at least like a lot of people already have their financial advisor. That's the ultimate driver of them coming back when it's not a regular meeting to see how things are going. And certainly for people looking for a new advisor, that's the driver. Because it's emotion is ultimately the driver. Well, that's it. I mean, you're completely right. You know, I like statistics and I like numbers and I, of course, get into some of these details and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, when you're in an industry, when it's your business, you look at this stuff a lot. But you're right. At the end of the day, even our analytical clients, what they want to know is not this, well, you you know, we added 0.2% here and this is 0.7%. What they want to know at the end of the day is, am I going to be able to still be retired? <laughs> am I going to run out of money before I die? Where's my monthly income going to come from? Right. Right? I mean, these are some of the, the non-analytical questions that it's just, hey, am I okay? You know, I know the market's down. I know we can't, you know, avoid that, but am I still okay? And you're right. I think at the end of the day, that's those are the kind of questions that you have to be able to answer for clients to make them feel comfortable. Um, but you know, I like people to at least know that we focus on all of these little things because they do right. add up. Yeah. Even yeah, if you're do. not into the details like we are, you know, we're focused on them. No, absolutely. All right. Thanks for joining us. Have a good, safe Labor Day, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>